Well, here we are. This is the last one. What is love? A study of the Ten Commandments. So let's finish this with a good quiz question. What does love have to do with the Ten Commandments? According to Jesus and my mom. That's right. Here we are. And today we, have, we are about to land this study. This, we are going to do the last of the demandments today. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17, what is love? Love is content. Love is content. I'm tempted to begin this. I will right now. I just, love is content. That today's passage might actually sort of feel like the opposite of how you and I might do this kind of a list. It might feel that way. It may feel like, you know, that it, it, it started off with no other gods before me or thunder and smoke. And if you read the text, these things, there was thunder and smoke and fire coming down a mountain. And people are going, ah, 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 ah. and they're like, you talk to a Moses, not us. No other gods before me. No idols. Be nice to your parents. <laughs> Honor the Sabbath. No murder. No stealing, no adultery, no slander, no st- all the things. And now we get to verse 17. You shall not covet. Covet? That's, now, on, at first glance, it kind of seems like, like it's a PS. Like, what? Covet? That seems, that sort of just seems like a little thing. Right? Compared to no other gods and shaking of a mountain. You shall not covet. Well, here's the command. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Okay? You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his ox or his donkey or his boat (laughs) or his motorcycle. Basically, anything that you can put in the blank. There's actually, I think you know this, Brother Everett, there's a a blank in the original Hebrew that you can just write it in. (laughs) Whatever you're not supposed to covet, if you're coveting, just write it there. Don't do that. Don't covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. The command is straightforward. No coveting anything of your neighbor. Once again, we learned this last week. Who is your neighbor? That's right. Anybody that could you could possibly be somebody is your neighbor. What this command does is prohibit wanting for yourself anything that someone else has. But it's important that we hear this very, very well, because it's much more profound and much more beautiful than what that might sound like at first. It prohibits wanting for yourself anything that someone else has. It does not prohibit admiring what someone has. It does not prohibit, prohibit appreciating what someone else has. And it certainly doesn't prohibit being inspired by what someone else has. If your neighbor's yard is cleaner than yours. Don't steal their yard. Clean your yard. If your neighbor's pickup truck is shinier than yours, don't want their truck. You just wash yours. Oh, this all begins to make sense now. 
This prohibits the want. The want. This speaks to desire. This prohibits the want to take as yours what belongs to someone else. Or being, it prohibits being, even being willing to hurt or to wrong someone in order to take from them or to have what is theirs. And because these things, remember, they're like jewels with different facets that you can turn and shift and look. These things are alive. This also then would prohibit acting unjustly towards someone else in order to prevent them from having what you don't want them to have. In short, it prohibits by law, by the ten crazy commandments, the same with don't murder and no other gods. This prohibits jealousy, resentment, envy, and greed. But it also promotes. It promotes gratitude. Do we only say amen in November when we say gratitude? It promotes gratitude. It promotes contentment. Contentment. It actually promotes, it redirects us toward healthy desires. Psalm 37, verses uh, 3 and 4 says, Trust in the Lord. And this is the fundamental point, is to redirect our hearts toward trust in God. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Is it wrong for our hearts to have desires? No, but they should be Godward inspired by our delight in him. And when we have those desires, it's his delight to give them. God is our source. Covetous sees other people as our source. This command also promotes healthy desires for you to dream and to work hard and to achieve and to earn and to save and to build. Not to, again, not to make other people the, uh, uh, the, the object of, 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 of our envy, but to go ahead. You are image bearers. Do you know that? You were made in the image of the one who created everything. And God invites you to dream and to build and to become, but not don't don't blaspheme who you are by just envying. And further, this command enjoins us, invites us even to rejoice with others in their success, in their achievements. When they when they get something new or nice, you should say yay, not aw. Why they got stuff? <laughs> Love doesn't do that. Love is content. Why shouldn't we covet? Well, I'm just there's probably a host of reasons. Let me give you three. Three reasons why we shouldn't covet. Number one, because covetousness is fundamentally ungrateful. Ungrateful. Gratitude is our response to the goodness of God, to the loving kindness of God. How many believe God is good? Yes. How, many be, how many trust and are grateful for the loving kindness of God? Yes. 
That's our response to the goodness of God is, our, is gratitude. Oh, we're, we're grateful for God's goodness. We're grateful for God's loving kindness. Covetousness denies both of those things. Covetousness de- denies, rejects his unbelief in the goodness of God or his loving kindness. Covetousness poisons our heart and our mind. Covetousness entertains entitlement. It entertains the wicked idea that I am somehow more entitled, that things should be mine because of me. Oh, look at me. I'm an idol. Covetousness makes me an idol. To covet is to practice hostile ingratitude. It will cause envy and resentment and lead to darkness of soul. But love is content. Secondly, why we should not covet is because covetousness is terribly unsatisfying. It's terribly unsatisfying. There is no means to a happy end. Coveting will never land you happy. Never. Boy, if I just if I just could have if I if I could just have his Ford, I'd sure be happy. No, you wouldn't. You just want somebody else's for. There is no path to joy or to satisfaction through coveting. The covetous heart is discontent, it is unpeaceful, and it is critical. It is critical, it is negative. The, the covetous heart speaks with the dialect of not enough. It never has enough. Nothing is ever good enough. And other people, frankly, aren't really good enough to have what they have. The default vibe of the covetous heart is grumbling and complaining. And I don't know anybody that really wants to live there. Thirdly, we should not covet because coveting is treacherous. It is dangerous for us and for those we covet against. Listen to how dangerous it is. The the book of James, chapter 1, verses 13 and 15. James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Don't blame God. God is tempting because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Coveting is the seed of sin. James continues to warn us in James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Not gratitude. Nobody's fussing because there's too much gratitude. Wish people would just stop being so thankful. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Not gratitude, not contentment, not love. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. 
Boy, that escalated quickly. James just tells us this is the end of it. Whether slowly or quickly, this is the result. Meaning coveting makes other people an obstacle. They are either an obstacle to my satisfaction or an object to be used toward my satisfaction. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. You image bearers are confusing your source. Your neighbor's truck is not the source of your joy. God is. Coveting is the cause of hostility because it does not see or trust in God as our source. It reduces other people as a, to a means of our own satisfaction and ultimately it is just gross. Coveting is gross, but love is content. Consider the implications of this command. <laughs> All the other commands that we've read are external. They're all external, they're all visible, they're all measurable, and not difficult, I mean, as far as punishment. No other gods before me. You catch somebody with a Buddha, that, that, no other gods, right? Idol, no other, they got, they got themselves an idol, there it is. You can, if murder, <laughs> visible, measurable, punishable. Yes. Theft. Yep. Slander. Coveting. I can covet. Now, don't I don't think this is wrong. I can covet all day and smile and wear my best church clothes. And you won't know I'm coveting. So what's the biggie? What's the problemo? This is the only command that only God and I know. And in a way, it almost seems like, it, again, we want to, uh, it almost seems like, Lord, is this some sort of a PS statement? I mean, mountain shaking and fire and thunder and loud voices and noises and trumpets and things. And then don't covet. No, this command is potentially, I don't mean to, I don't mean to say it's the most important one, but it is potentially the most it places the highest demand upon our life because you can't fake it you can't manage it through appearances see in this command what we see is that God not only lays claim to the conduct of our life he has laid claim to the content of of our hearts. And only he sees. And only he knows. And you. And there's no denying. There's no hiding. God has laid claim. To the contents of our hearts. 
And as such, what he reveals is that this last command is the root that addresses all the others. It is the root of idolatry, immorality. It is the root of murder and theft and slander because all of it begins in the heart. Like the other commands, can we just pause for a moment to consider what if people embraced, what if we all lived like these commands? What if these were embraced and obeyed? Remember that we talked about theft? What if don't steal? We just said, we all said, okay. And we didn't. We wouldn't need any security codes. You wouldn't need a Wi-Fi password. You wouldn't need to lock your house. You could leave your keys in the car. You wouldn't worry about if you left your purse somewhere. Think about all the all of the all of the fear and anxiety that would lift. It's almost as if God has really good ideas. Well, I mean there is that. What if we didn't covet? What if covetousness was removed from our hearts? Think of all the evil that would be avoided. And think of all of the good that would be left unspoiled by envy. As such, because this command deals most directly with the human heart, most completely, comprehensively with our heart, once again, we see our need for a Savior. The law is good. It's good. None of all these commandments are good. Good. They're very good. They reveal the, the goodness of God, His character, His nature. They reveal how the image bearer longs for, and how the image giver longs for image bearers to love Him and one another. We agree the law is really good, but in its greatness, it also confronts what is not good in our heart. The human heart struggles to find peace when it lives in broken relationship with God. The human heart churns with angst when it is discontent. The human heart is most capable of doing evil when it covets. But God sees our heart. God sees our heart. This is what the Tenth Commandment really, I mean, the message has to be. The implication is God sees your heart and wants it to be pure. God sees our heart and wants it to be pure. And only He can do it. Only He can create in us a clean heart. But the, the psalmist prayed in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. In the Hebrew, there are two words for create or build. There may be more, but there's two big ones. They're different. 
One of them to create or to build is like a few years ago. I guess it's the more I think about it, it was more than a few years ago now. But uh, at one time, I, I had a house that had an old rotten fence. And so I tore the fence down, and it was so bad and so ugly and so gross that when I tore the fence down, literally the neighbors came over immediately to say, thank you for tearing that down. <laughs> and so I made fire. I built a new fence. Thank you. I built a new fence, and I built, I got an auger. I got a two-man auger that I used by myself because moderation is for chumps. <laughs> got a two-man auger to, be, to dig big, big holes in the ground, hit a bunch of, I'd hit those rocks. It'd go, <laughs> hit the rocks. And uh, all, so I'd dig holes in the ground and pour way too much concrete in there because, yep, 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 the more concrete, the better. And uh, turned out that what Michael said, that's 100% wrong. Doesn't matter. But uh, I put a lot of concrete in there, did put posts in the ground, and then I built a fence. Now, when I say I built a fence, what I mean is I put posts in the ground and then I bought fence sections from Home Depot. And then you just, and you got yourself a fence. But I built it. Yeah, built it. No, thank you, thank you. We're really, we're really laying on the youngest applause, and I appreciate it as the youngest. It is making me feel much better. I'll sleep better tonight. Uh, and I and and I even cut one of the fence uh, things in half and made a gate out of it, and it lasted for like a couple of years before it fell apart. But I. Created. I built a fence out of materials that weren't a fence before, but I made it into a fence. Yeah. That is one word for build, to create, to, to build something out of materials that already existed. There's an, then there's another word in Hebrew for build or create. And it means, well, we find it in the book of Genesis. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. And it means to create out of nothing. Not out of pre-existing materials. Not taking what was and making it into something different. But, out, but to make something or to create something that did not exist before. And only, that verb in Hebrew is only attributed to the work of God. Never to the work of a human hand. You see it in Genesis 1, in the beginning God created, and David uses it in this Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart. This was not, David did not pray this prayer at a moment of triumph. David didn't say create in me a clean heart and, 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 uh, and when he was feeling great and reflecting on all of his victories. He didn't pray this prayer after he took out Goliath. This was his response to, some of, to one of the lowest periods in his life. It was response to his own personal horrific failure. But in that place of horrific failure, he reaches out and says, God, I have hope that you can create in me a clean heart. You can, do, you can create something in me that doesn't exist. That you don't, you're not going to reassemble the pieces of my failure with duct tape and chicken wire. 
You're going to make me new. And friends, if we can hear this this morning together, we need, we must stop defining our life by the sand that has already passed through the glass. The more you focus on the sand that's already passed through, you will forfeit what is to come. We can give thanks for God's faithfulness, and we should. We should be thankful for his loving kindness and his providence and that he's been faithful to us. But we must not. Your failure will only define you if you quit. But no matter how great our need, we have this prayer. Lord, create in me a clean heart. Lord, create in me a clean heart. Here this command reveals that we need God. That our hearts are twisted and mixed up with our own selfish desires. And they keep leading us in behaviors that are sinful and harmful. But God can give us a new heart. And the promise doesn't end there. Listen to the, the, what God describes that he'll do for us in the book of Ezekiel. Verses, uh, chapter 36, verse 26 and 27. He says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart, uh, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And listen to this, and I will put my spirit in you. I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Not only does he give us a new heart, friends, he gives us his spirit to move us, to inspire us, even to compel us to live in righteousness. Like all of these commands, we remember that we rely upon the Holy Spirit. Because all of these commands are about love. Here's a verse that we keep coming back to. First, Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Let no debt remain outstanding except a continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commands, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever, whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love fulfills the law, and love comes from the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 5 says, God has shed abroad. He has poured out the love of God into our hearts. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 8, Paul says, I have heard of your love in the Spirit, meaning I have heard of the love that the Spirit of God has produced in your hearts. It is the Holy Spirit who fills us with the love of God, the love for God, love from God it is only this love that does no harm it is only this love that does much good it is this love that fulfills the law this is love Lord we open our hearts to you this morning would you like to stand as we close Lord, we open our hearts to you and we ask that you search us and know us. Jesus, we want to be honest with you and say, Lord, we don't want a heart that's 
made up of old scrap. Jesus, would you give us a new heart? If you've not asked Jesus to save you, if you've not asked Jesus to give you a new heart, today's the day. Jesus, be my Savior. If your heart's been far from God, if your heart's been accumulating a lot of leftover debris, rotten wood and stuff, let Jesus give you a new heart today. Jesus, forgive us of our sin. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remove all the debris, all the filth, all the toxicity. Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Fill us, fill us, fill us with your Holy Spirit to move us, to lead us. Let us live under the holy, loving, intoxicating influence of your Holy Spirit. Your bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. Be kind to someone on your way out. Make Say hello to someone in the cafe. God bless you. Thanks for being here today.